Life in the Land of the Ice and Snow. My name is Heather. I'm here with Monica, my co-host, and today we've got a half and half. We have Sandy. <laughs> a hybrid. Let me let me clarify. <laughs> we have a half Swede, half Brit. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we can start with getting the story on that. <laughs> right. Um, Mum and Dad met in London. Dad mm-hmm. was studying to be an actor, I think, or something. He was wow. doing, doing drama or something. But he's always been a political activist. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, actually. And my mum, being a bishop's daughter, <laughs> was being rebellious in the 60s. Oh <laughs> they met on a march. <laughs> that is, that is how, that's how it started. I mean, but in cool. defense, I know Sandy, right? So yeah. this setup already, to me, has explained your entire life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, it good. kind of does. Continue. So I don't know how or why or whatever, but they decided they wanted to move to Africa. Uh, my mom grew up in Johannesburg because uh-huh. my grandfather was the bishop of Johannesburg. But because of the way things did in everything that going on with the apartheid and everything, so right. he had to go into exile. He's the first white bishop who wouldn't exclude blacks. Because yeah. he was like, God is for everybody. He right. couldn't care less what colour they were. So he was the first white bishop to ordain black priests. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so crazy. Desmond Tutu was ordained by my grandfather. Oh my and God, that's et cetera, so cool. Etc, etc, etc. So it's a very big story. Uh, but so mum wanted to get back to Africa because that's where she spent her formative years. They were there for 11 years in South Africa. Wow. But they couldn't uh, because no one genetically related to my grandfather was allowed in the country after they had left. My grandfather was not allowed to step foot. I mean, none of us could step foot, including me, until the ANC won in 1994. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it was on that level. So uh, mum and dad moved to Tanzania. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was born. Wow. (laughs) And they worked, both my mum and dad are teachers, working as teachers. I don't think my dad was actually a proper qualified teacher at the time. And mum was, I mean, she'd gone to Oxford and done that whole malarkey. So she, <laughs> so she was, she had, she had the education. Uh, she worked as a teacher in a boarding school up in the mountains in Tanzania, in a very small place called Lushuto, which was an old colonial retreat place. Okay. Like when it got too hot okay. down in the main country, they would go up in the mountains and live up in the mountains. Yeah. Um, so we arrived, I mean, I was born in 1966, but it was great. It was quite a funny story. I'm a twin and they did not know. So my sister was born and then they were packing up and the nurse, cause we was going born in an old school or something. They didn't really have a hospital or anything. Oh and they were packing up and the nurse said, oh, I think there's another one. <laughs> and the doctor just oh, went, way. oh, don't be so ridiculous. <laughs> So I kind of gave birth to myself because no one's nobody wanted to help you out. No. Hello, but it was um, it was and it caused a big controversy because in that time, and I think it still is in some parts in Africa, twins are one is good and one is evil. In which so, are you? Uh, <laughs> I actually don't know. <laughs> but um, so they put one out in the woods, basically, or in the jungle, or whatever. 
For real? For real, for real, in those days at least. I mean, they might still do that, I don't know. In those days you're saying the 60s? The 60s, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah. Jesus, yeah. that's yeah, so they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they didn't want to touch us or anything, like, because one, right. one of us was evil, but, you know, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the firstborn or the secondborn, I Going no past idea. how horrible that is, what if you get the wrong one? Exactly. <laughs> if you don't know. <laughs> They didn't put you, though, in... No. no. They Your finally, mother's educated. Exactly. And they kind and of that's, finally... That's when I was raised by wolves. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or horses, in exactly. this case. Yeah. yeah. The end. The end. Yeah. Um, no, so they finally found some woman to help out or something that, that wasn't scared of us and all the rest of it. But we only stayed there until we were one, and then we moved to Sweden because my mum had fallen out with... Uh, her family quite a lot, being rebellious against the bishop. So the, we lived in Sweden-ish because we, we always seem to be traveling. Yeah. Uh, my dad is an adventurer. Yeah. He's extremely eccentric and he believes in driving everywhere. So we were in Sweden then on and off. But what was interesting in those days, language-wise, my first language I learned was English. Mm-hmm. And then in those days, then you stopped with that language, mm-hmm. and then you started with the second one. So it was English first, and then okay. it was Swedish, and then it went back to English. <laughs> so uh, what age did you stop to switch to the next one? I think it must have been when we started in daycare. I don't know if I was two or three. I can't remember. But I remember us walking around, singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, because we didn't know it in mm. Swedish and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And then I suppose then that they decided, oh, no, no, but they have to learn Swedish. And then the English stopped. So I remember my mum never speaking to me. (laughs) Swedish wasn't very good in those days. It was really bizarre. Um, But mum and dad, anyway, they they split up when I was quite young. Because dad got a job with SIDA, Sweden International Development Agency, is it? They go out and they, they do these huge projects helping in poor countries and stuff like oh, that. Okay. No, they're fantastic. And yeah. Dad managed to get himself a job starting cottage industries in Bangladesh. And I think Mum originally agreed, but then she decided no. Mm. Uh, and this is like shortly before we're due to leave, the whole family. Oh, wow. <sighs> so Dad was like, I was kind of sod you, I'm going anyway. Yeah. So he left. So he left Mum and us and we were five and my mum has always suffered from depression mm. and she couldn't handle it. Yeah. So we ended up being shipped off to our auntie outside Norrköping okay. for okay. two years. Um, the Swedish part of the family, that didn't get on with my father either. So okay. that was kind oh, of, no. it was a bit rough. But anyway, we survived the two years and he came back. And, but by that time, they separated completely. So I then went to live. Unfortunately, my, my sister suffered terribly for the whole thing and she also she's bipolar mm-hmm. so for her it was really really rough so she ended up uh, staying in foster care for a while until she got better until mom and dad uh, i suppose had settled then what happened um then when i was 10 my dad wanted to drive back to tanzania <laughs> so can you even do that yeah we did you can okay. we did <laughs> This goes, this goes so far beyond, like, the normal dad, hey, kids, let's <laughs> take a road yeah. trip. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, We're going was, to Tanzania. Yet? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was oh a lot gosh, of that. whole other realm of are we there yet. Oh, it was so completely funny. insane. But we did. Um, 
My sister didn't want to follow, but I decided I want to see the place I was born. So he bought a Toyota pickup. He bought it in England. So we went, left Sweden with all the gear, went over to England, installed ourselves into this thing. Uh, meanwhile, I was visit, I was staying with my cousins for a bit then, uh, mm. whilst all the preparations were going on. And then off we went. And we spent three months on the road to Tanzania, <laughs> where lots of things happened, <laughs> including getting arrested in Kampala because Idi Amin had taken power and Dad thought we should drive through. Yeah. <laughs> So we had lots. We had lots of adventures on the way. There was a was it uh, Congo? There was no Zaire. There was a civil war going on. Oh my god! Um, and we nearly we nearly died there. I think, but oh the, we managed to keep my calm, my father calm. I mean, he has so many letters that man that it's just he doesn't have patience. Yeah. He doesn't have you yeah. know. He he only sees what he wants to see and do, and yeah. off he goes, and he doesn't care about consequences. So anyway, so we spent, we drove down there, my dad and my stepmother, she had the job at CEDA then, teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my dad got a job in the school that I went to, which was the international school, the Moshi. And that's where we stayed. So all in all, I was away for two years. Then I came back to Sweden because I left my dad there and my stepmother because I just missed my mum and my sister yeah, so much. And by this time, my sister was living with my mum and my new stepfather. So I came back mm-hmm. to Sweden Finished school, finished ninth grade, didn't know what I wanted to do. I was going to start the path I'm going to college to become a child psychologist. But my sister was going to go to England with my father. So I was 16 then. And her passport didn't get ready in time. So I went over to be with my dad in England for a week. And um, yeah, I didn't go home <laughs> I stayed for about 10 years. Wow, wow. Yeah. So I met my first husband. There's been several. <laughs> uh, we met, uh, got married, moved to Japan, stayed in Japan for six years, uh, left him during this, tried to get divorced. Uh, met my second husband, who I married just for a green card, basically, so I could get residency in Japan because he was uh, Japanese descent, Brazilian. Okay. What did you do while you were there, and did you speak Japanese? Actually, I started off with, when I met my first husband, I was working for British Airways, mm-hmm. and British Airways Executive Club at Heathrow Terminal 1, but he was a DJ. So, and I was working part-time in the clubs to pay off my first car. So then he got me a, a job interview with one of the Western nightclubs. And in those days, the Western nightclubs, there were auditions because you made so much money. I auditioned in a leotard and high heels, three inches, uh, oh as a cocktail God. waitress. Yeah. I love and this. the thing is, you could, you could actually make, in one week, I could make the same as I did in one month working for Brasheros. <laughs> so being 20-odd, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's what you do. You wear leotards and three chills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I started off in this one club, and that was hilarious because I was so naive. The third day I worked in this club, this is hilarious. And we're talking a place where lots of celebrities, okay. uh, lots of extremely rich people mm-hmm. uh, went to. The third day there was a drug raid. Oh, my God. I'm walking in the in the back hall between, I never forget this, the kitchen and the restaurant. I was working in the restaurant as a waitress. They came from everywhere. I mean, you're talking a place that probably hold, held about 150 customers. Okay. And 
80 policemen raided us. Oh, my god! I mean, they came from the roof. They came like from the roof. Like, yeah, like, right. You know. <laughs> and one movie. of them... <laughs> and one of them just, like, t- grabs hold of me, pushes me against the wall and just screams, like, this is a raid, you know? And I'm going... <laughs> What? I mean, for what? Complete. Yeah, exactly. I was so in aim. I was like, what were you talking about? What's wrong with you? You could come through the front door. Exactly. Yeah, it was quite amazing. So that was, that was a big wake-up call. Having said that, though, I never learned anything. We didn't get closed down then. Okay. Um, so I carried on working there. And, and we, but we did close down after three months. But it closed down, and then I started working in another Western club, which became huge. It changed, own, not ownership, yeah, it kind of did to back and forth and management and everything. Mm. But I managed to stay there for three years. But in the 90s, first Gulf War, all the money went. Uh, so we went from making probably £500 a week to £100 a week, maybe. Wow. That, that whole crash. And then there was a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who I knew from the clubs. And she just said, oh, do you want to work in Japan as a hostess? And I was like, yeah. Do they have McDonald's? Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of because when I had my period, I used to always get cravings for McDonald's. And that was my only concern that if I, because I mean, of course, to me, it's like, yeah, sure. live in a different country. My yeah, God. You're, you've uh, been all over the place. Uh, yeah. Well, you're lucky not? that your, your thing that you like is so international. So, exactly, yeah. exactly. And they did. They had McDonald's. I said, yeah, okay, yeah, I can do that. So the first job was kind of working as a hostess with this agent. So they, you know, they gave you an apartment. They provide you with a visa. So they paid for your ticket, for your airline ticket. So this okay. was a year contract, I think, the first one. So I was hostessing, riding horses during the daytime, hostessing at night, uh, helping Suku open the first nightclub. And then we got a franchise and opened the second nightclub. And then and I divorced Suku and then married Fabiano to get my residency. Mm. But then when things went pear-shaped with him, that's when we left. So we went to Brazil. I could not handle Brazil at all. Uh, we neither of us could. We found it very, very hard to go to a provincial town in the middle of Brazil mm. from the life you kind of had. Yeah. So we went to Australia for six months. We went back to Brazil, but I couldn't handle it because he wasn't interested in working. He wasn't doing anything. I was training horses, coaching a show jumping rider, and then my stepfather died in two thousand three. Oh. So within twenty four hours, I sat on a flight. Um, I had six kilos in my luggage because I was going to come home. I was going to organize a funeral and I was going back to my, my job. It turned out to be very complicated, but it took six months for this whole thing. So I just had to stay and mm-hmm. I had to like deal with everything. And I had been here about two months and I got an email from Fabiano saying, don't think you should come back. <laughs> so that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I never went back and I lost everything. I mean, it was hard enough with mum and everything. And I didn't have the money to go back to Brazil to fight for anything or to like, Mm -hmm. you know, so I just had to rely on. And I got some of the stuff sent to me of my personal belongings, but I lost a hell of a lot. Yeah, so twice I have lost everything from once from Suka and once from Fabiano. Um, They all want to be friends on Facebook. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) God. Uh, yeah, so I stayed. I was on my way. I looked after my mother for two and a half years. And I was working in, in tourism and doing stuff like that. And then I decided I was like going back, heading back to England. 
to what I call home, which is London, mm. has always been. Because, I mean, when I came back to Sweden, I thought, you know, in my head, I was kind of like, well, I'm Swedish. And then I realised. You I weren't. Was, <laughs> I, was, I was like, I don't get these people. What is wrong yeah. with them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Heather and I are talking about that because we lived here pretty substantial amount of time and we yeah. always say we we're kind of like home is wherever we in where we are at that yeah. very moment so yeah. you consider yourself to be british ultimately yeah. yeah but but in sweden's like and this is the hard part for me because i came back and basically everything i'd done since i was 16 did not count mm-hmm. i'd never been unemployed until i came here <laughs> that's part of the whole coming from another country that that's one of the biggest problems here is how much everything you've done before counts for nothing exactly uh, mm-hmm. you may have earned a degree in something but it's no good here because yeah. it was the wrong language or under the wrong type of laws or mm-hmm. exactly and you have to start from scratch and yeah it's, it's really it's very difficult and it makes you feel no matter what age you are you feel like you're a child again having to start mm-hmm. over and it just all feels and i think it sends a lot of people into a bit of a depression just yeah. thinking God, yeah. i can't do this again yeah <laughs> yeah no but totally i mean my mum, she had a degree from oxford uh-huh. oxford university <laughs> in latin greek and english oh. but didn't count in Sweden. I think that's insane. <laughs> yeah, is that <laughs> insane? <laughs> it is insane. I mean, it's just, and, it, and and like everywhere else, I mean, if this was, if I had gone back, if I hadn't come here, if I'd gone back to England, it'd be like, oh my God, you can speak Brazilian, you can speak Japanese, you've done this and that. Yeah. It didn't matter what education I had, they would have trained me to do whatever job, mm-hmm. just purely for the fact of my, of my language skills. Yeah. And just for the pure fact that I have the know-how I'm a people person. I can deal with any person from any planet, any mm-hmm. language, any culture, Literally. any, you know, it does not matter. I mean, just by know. the virtue that you have traveled around and managed to live in so many different countries yeah. is a testament to the type of person you are personally and professionally. I mean, yeah. I, I but here, need, it doesn't it count. Doesn't count. Yeah, I need sorry. to change the beginning of, of what I said with half and half. Because yeah. I think it's more like, I don't know. A third and a third. <laughs> I don't think this is a simple case of just no. Swedish British. This is this no. is a lot more this complicated. Is this is the only great outcome of everything is that I met Kevin. I was on my way back to England and I decided to stay because he was renovating his apartment. We started dating and all the rest of it. And then Kira came along. But, but how um, does, I have a question, because I yeah. think about this too. I haven't moved around near the amount you mm. have, but I have moved around a little, little bit. Do you feel like sometimes you just want to pick up and move again? God, but, yes. But you, don't, but you don't because you have a kid and you want to provide them with stability. Yes. And that, yes. wanting to do that, but not being able to. Like, yeah. Because we're we cope with that. We're talking about this because Kevin is from a small town in Ireland, right? And he came here because his best friend ended up here, yeah. And he came here to help him build his house, and he's been here ever since. But he still has his best friend here, and he still has his friends and family in Ireland, which he's extremely close to. And what makes friends is memories, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I have fragments all over the world. Mm-hmm. And one of my best friends is in Vancouver. I have someone else in Los Angeles, Cairns, Australia. I mean, like, and they're all only people that has been occasionally in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't have anyone who knows me at all from beginning to end, like my husband. Um, and I did not want Kira 
not to have those no. roots. No, that makes sense. Because you do want roots. It may, yeah. it's, I think you have to be psychologically a bit deranged mm. if you can go on without roots. Because it is hard. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's the other thing with moving is, is that you don't have like the people you grew up with and your childhood friends. Uh, luckily, these days with the Internet, we can keep in touch. But yeah. it's not the same as, you know, having somebody who really knows so much about you before you became the exactly. person who lives here or wherever else. Exactly. It's really tough. I totally see your point, too, because I struggle with that, too. I mean, when things are especially when things are really tough mm. and my ex and my boyfriend they all like oh their parents are around the corner mm. they have friends mm. from their first grade i mean they yeah. have like you said these roots like these yeah. really strong roots yeah um and we've talked about this in the podcast too i think that's why swedes also come across so like not friendly at the beginning because they have such deep connections for so long mm. to so many friends like newcomers like ourselves are like oh mm. we're just possibly passing mm. through mm. But eventually you can kind of like tap into it. You know? No, I mean, I, and I think, I mean, because, okay, in the sense of Japan, they can at least look at you and they know you're a foreigner. True. Right? Mm. We stand out. Because you're a foreigner, they will also give you the benefit of the doubt. You know, they kind of give you the leeway. Mm. But here, you're expected somehow miraculously know all these unspoken rules. You're supposed uh-huh. to be telepathic. <laughs> I mean, there are so much stuff. And if you don't understand, and if you don't get it, you're an idiot. And mm. I'm going, well, how was I supposed to know? You're not supposed to call someone between 6.30 and 7.30 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Because that's when everyone has dinner. I have dinner at nine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And you know, what do you mean I can't play the piano after 10 o'clock? Yes. I can't do my laundry before yeah. nine. Or... Oh, I know. I remember that. <laughs> that was in my very first apartment we lived in. They had the rule book and they said you couldn't do laundry, you know, before this time or after this time. Yeah. And I thought... You can't tell me when I can and can't do laundry. <laughs> exactly. Please. What are you exactly. going to do? <laughs> to wrap up, I just wanted to do a tip for the people who live in Stockholm. And on April 27th, it's Culture Night in Stockholm. And what that means is, <laughs> I'll explain it to you guys as well. It's kind of hoping you'd help me out here. Uh, so Culture Night... Let's see, I wrote it down. A hundred different events take place all over Stockholm. Starts at 6 p.m. and it goes until midnight. They do this every year. And I have to say that you guys are just staring at me like you've never (laughs) heard of this. They do it every year. They do? But Heather, you were so good. This is why we're such good co-hosts together, because I don't know any of this. And you fill me in on so many good things. Never heard of it. Yeah, so uh, all the entertainment is free. Mm. And it's just so you can go check out something that maybe you haven't checked out before or find a new interest. Um, but is it like museums? and? It is everywhere. It's, uh, it's museums. It's concert, uh, concert house, concerts at churches. Culture School has things you can try. I wrote down some of the, the parliament will be open for special tours. Film Hoosit has like a behind the scenes thing and they're showing some stuff um performing arts museum has something the sports museum has something the medieval museum they're gonna have where you can taste medieval food uh, or carve runes that's their thing isn't that just christmas (laughs) 
there's another uh, place. And midsummer and Easter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the same place. There's another place called Nora Bontoriat Play, and they're going to have a street dance battle at 7 p.m. and Bollywood Opera Dance Along at 8.25 p.m. Uh, Swedish Thanks. Swing Society uh, is going to have where you can try the Lindy Hop. Okay, uh, good. So, yeah, that was... <laughs> Sandy and I were like, uh... <laughs> and then the uh, the concert who said, you add a Hattoriat, at 6 p.m. they're going to do guided tours up on the roof. But it's, it's you know, There's for a bar for up serve. on the roof there. Uh, maybe there is. Yeah, I there have is. no idea. I haven't been on the roof. Yeah, it's a brilliant bar. It's a really nice bar up there. And then like every hour oh. they're doing free concerts. So if you want to, if you're like, I've never gotten to go to a concert at Concert Who's It, it's all free. Just go in. That's I mean, a really good tip, Heather. Be, be mm. ready to go. Oh, well, thank you. Very nice. <laughs> Very good. What else did I have? Uh, Fries Husset and Hammerby Holstad. They've got Thai boxing at 6 p.m. If you want to try it out, is the Okay, thing. what's the website so people can Okay, so the website is simply uh, kulturnotstockholm.se. So, awesome. Um, so, or you can look it up in English, too. You just write Culture Night Stockholm. 2019 <laughs> you might get the old schedule but it is all over town april 27th and it's it's wonderful because especially if the weather is nice because there's also a lot of outdoor mm. events mm. as well <laughs> great yeah, so i just want to let everybody know about that for brilliant uh, since that's coming up so we'll go ahead and wrap it up because this has been fascinating Thanks, and i Sandy. feel like we could probably talk for a, a lot longer yeah <laughs> we didn't even touch on what you do now we'll have to have sandy back yeah. yes definitely <laughs> So thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. Thank you. It was great. It was great fun. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.